Welcome to episode number three of the Boltcast. I'm your host, Mike Mears, and I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. On this show, it's my job, or what I do is I interview experts from the world of health and fitness, so trainers, coaches, doctors, nutritionists, really anyone who does anything related to the body. Um, And the whole purpose is to ask these people questions, um, hopefully your questions and my questions, I know that's for sure, of how to get better control over the body and ultimately how we can all be active for life. I believe it's totally possible for each and every one of us, regardless of if we're just getting started or we've been out there being active and being healthy for decades or years. So with that, wanted to get into episode three. Uh, today, I'm interviewing Nate Van Nortwick. Uh, Nate is the coach of Ascend Running here in Oakland, and he basically helps folks uh, prepare for races. Uh, Nate specializes in uh, long-distance endurance races. He mostly does uh, trail running these days, um, but has also done a number of um, more conventional marathons and things of that nature. Um, and so today we dive into all things running, all things endurance sports, and then at the end, uh, Nate actually flips the tables and asks me some questions about my experience doing ketogenic diets and low-carb diets uh, with the goal of figuring out some things for his training around that, ad- that adaptation excuse me, um, and how he can use that to potentially up his game when it comes to endurance and performance. So... Uh, That's what we're going to be jamming on today. I really hope you guys enjoy this one. I know I did. Uh, Real quick before we get into it, remember our show is sponsored by Recovery Amino. This is our product at Dose Train Solutions, and it's a pre-workout supplement, no stimulants though, and the whole purpose behind it and why we got into it was we wanted to find a super efficient protein source that could help your muscles recover as quickly as possible, and that's what Recovery Amino does. You can head over to our website to learn more about that. The... um, for first-time customers, you can use the code BOLD15, get 15% off your first order. And yeah, all right, guys, enjoy this one. I know I did. Take care. Welcome, guys. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, on the show with me today, I've got Nate from Ascend Running, and we're going to be jamming on some topics ranging from running, running form, how to not hurt when you're running if that's been an issue, and also dive into... Um, a conversation around nutrition, specifically um, high-fat, low-carb diets for endurance and lifestyle. Um, so with that, Nate, I'd love for you to kind of introduce yourself a little bit more and share kind of what you do with Ascend and, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm a running coach. Uh, I do uh, mostly... My specialty is like long distance and endurance running. So like people training for halves, marathons, or especially trail runs, uh, ultras, that kind of thing. Um, but I work with anywhere from kids who are in sports trying to get faster sprinting all the way to like ultra runners doing long trail stuff. Um, yeah, and I just really love helping people find training that works for them and that's helping them progress when they feel stuck or feel like they're not getting faster. Um, just trying to work with them to, to figure out what's getting in the way of the, their improvement. And, uh, yeah, I love helping seeing them succeed and run strong and not get injured. Nice. So, 
That's awesome. Yeah. Have you always been a runner, or I I, uh, I played team sports in high school mostly, and uh, didn't really get into running until after college. Actually, okay. Got into swimming during college, so I guess that was my competitively, or that was like no, your, just your... just to stay in shape kind of thing. Yeah, and then just moved near Lake Merritt in Oakland and started running a few times a week. And just uh, a friend convinced me to sign up for a 50K. And then after that, I was hooked on the the running thing. 50K is like 25 miles, right? Yeah, 31. 31 miles? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was my... That's my, a big intro race. Yeah, it was. A, I was epically underprepared for it and uh, wearing road shoes with a lot of hills and mud okay. to, to travel through so oh so this is a trail race yeah, too yeah sorry one sec let me close this door because all that sound is crazy oh yeah well all kinds of construction going on right now around my house um yeah yeah you're, you're near the fire yeah it's just right right next door <laughs> yeah, i like, know we came over the day after to look at it. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. I wasn't in town. Yeah, I was kinda, okay. That's so funny. my parents and my neighbors and everyone was like calling, like, where are you? Because everyone got evacuated at yeah. 5 a.m. Yeah. I wasn't there. Yeah. So. Like, was... Are you just sleeping really hard? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, all the windows, those windows broke. The windows on this side of the building all broke from uh, heat from the oh, fire. Wow. Shattered them. And you can even see across the way, we're totally segueing, mm -hmm. but... Oh, they just replaced those. Those windows over there are all new because they all uh, broke from heat. Wow. And so it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, but luckily no one got hurt. And yeah. I think the only the only people, there are some people living on the property who were doing security uh -huh. who lost their home and lost their stuff. And then the people next door, that house got uh -huh. burnt. And they haven't been back. I think they're starting to rebuild it, though. They're not, mm -hmm. they're not tearing down. They're rebuilding it. So I don't know what happened to their their stuff but they're yeah. they are all out so yeah that was a nuts fire <laughs> yeah that whole like because in the next a few weeks later was the ghost ship fire the next yeah. month which yeah. is crazy like you don't think of that happening yeah. ever yeah but i don't know um okay huge segue we'll see if i keep that or not i might just leave it in there but um this is about oakland this this show yeah. in some ways but uh, okay, so you you did your first race. It was a thirty-one mile of, 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 uh -huh. uh, was it? trail race. Trail race, yeah. and you were using road shoes mm -hmm. instead of trail runner shoes. Yeah. Like what was? And that's something I hear so often. Like I was actually listening to another story yesterday of um, this guy named I think it was uh, Anthony Goggins. He's like a former Navy SEAL, and yeah, I know of him. Yeah. Yeah, and he like his first. He wanted to run a ultra endurance race, like something in the desert, and he called the race organizers like, "Well, the only way you can do that is if you qualify by running a hundred mile race somewhere." Uh -huh. And so he found a hundred mile race like that same week. He was like, kind of out of shape at the time, like a powerlifter who never uh -huh. ran, and like just ran this hundred mile race with no prep, no nothing, and like really kind of messed himself up. Uh -huh. um, and so. But I hear the story often of like, oh, my first race, I wasn't prepared, and the spectrum is wide. Like people, are like kind of not prepared and like really not prepared. Yeah. And so like, 
is that just how that goes or can you not prepare for these things like why is that yeah i think um i think especially like hubris of especially males who have been in shape in other ways their whole life and think you know i'll just jump into it mm -hmm. i don't need to like read or prepare and it'll get you through actually like the certain degree of base fitness like you can you just hike a lot of it and suffer a lot <laughs> you know you suffer more than you need to because you're ill-prepared but um but the, uh, some base fitness can kind of get you through but yeah it, it depends the women definitely seem to research things more yeah or i don't know some people different personality types i don't know <laughs> but yeah some i think yeah ego gets in the way ego gets in the way being well prepared but so you did this race and then you were like you were hooked after that or yeah it was just like uh just i think the experiencing what it's like to in your own power um just move 31 miles like through hills and mountains um through like uh you know not the best weather conditions and um just making it through is like really cool and i just the day after i think i was looking for what's the next thing i could sign up for and i was i was pretty hooked on just serial racer like race sign up for races at that point um, oh wow so like your first year how many races did you compete in i don't know actually i think uh i really around 2011 12 or so i really uh jumped into a bunch i, I tried to do 200 milers in the same year and uh i think i don't know I can't remember how many races I ran, but there was just doing two on two of signing up for your first hundred miler and doing another one three months later was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's the continued yeah. hubris, right? So like now then, so that's, do you continue that type of trend or have you kind of scaled back and like now you train more systematically? Like how would you approach Yeah, it? for sure. I think I, uh, I have tried to be a lot more wise about how I train myself and um, to like a lot of people take the race, use the race as motivation to help them be fit or exercise at all. And so then what that I think that leads to is like uh, inactivity when you're not signed up for a race and then you sign up for a race and you try and do everything you can to maximize what you, your fitness for that race, mm -hmm. which is likely you're going to work too hard, overtrain, not be ready for it, get injured. Um, and so I try and take the mindset instead of trying to be as fast as I can for the next race to be a little more conservative or planned. And I'd, I'd prefer to be faster two years from now than to try and squeeze every last drop out of the next three months, you know, and risk injury, which would then set me back for much longer, right? Mm -hmm. So just to be careful and uh, gradually improve over years instead of a few months. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Just training for longevity versus yeah the short term, and like yeah. I and I know. And like strength sports that I tend to be more participating in, like there's this definite thing of like, okay, well your peak is yeah early twenties, 
And so I feel like it can be tempting to like push yourself really hard. It's like, oh, I have to push myself now because my performance is just getting worse and worse and worse over time. Is that the same thing in endurance sports as well? Like, like when do people peak in endurance? There, there is some of that for sure. Uh, the longer the distance, the later people peak, it seems like. Um, so for the ultras, um, it seems like people do. It may, it may just be because they're wiser and maybe physically they've peaked earlier, but they actually experience a performance peak late in later years because they're smart and experienced because uh, the the longer the distance you get the more it's about strategy nutrition being like aware of your body and what's going on um but yeah for the shorter distance or um yeah it's definitely a temptation for people to like uh, you know i got x amount of years to try and uh, do well but for me that doesn't make sense unless you're trying to make a career out of being an elite elite uh, athlete right um what's what's the benefit of like risking huge injury or other things if if it's just a hobby right? yeah i totally agree with that and and so i think for strength sports or for fast running like if you're trying to maximize your mile time or 5k like you know sure you might you say you're 35 and you're like at your peak um and you could try and give all you got to get your fastest time by the time you're 36, or you could be great. You could put, you could probably experience your personal peak at 40, at 45, mm-hmm. if you, especially if you haven't been training your whole, you know, adolescence and young yeah. adulthood. If you're if you're newer to the sport, your your personal peak may be later because you haven't put in the time and the training yet. So yeah. I like that concept, personal peak, because I think that really, that actually helps with a lot of perspective. Like, if you, like, people who peak at 22, they've probably been training whatever sports since they were five. Yeah. And have been pretty dialed in in most areas or, like, just relying on the fact that they're a kid and they have really great genetics at the time. So if you're starting later in life... Like you can still do some really incredible stuff. Yeah. For um, sure. At forty-five, at fifty-five, at sixty-five. I mean, like I was at a weightlifting competition in the fall, and like there was this woman in her sixties mm-hmm. who was setting world records for her weight class. Yeah. At like just a local meet, and so like yeah, like the weight she was lifting like wasn't that heavy, mm-hmm. but like still like that's that's pretty awesome yeah. if you ask me. And, like, I bet you not many people are thinking about, like, well, what what would happen if I was really good at this at 65 or 75? So there's probably a lot of room there to, like, do things that are really notable. Um, And, like, you might not be able to go as fast or as far as someone who's 30 or lift as much as someone who's 30 or something like that. But, like, there's probably some things you can do that people are like, whoa, you did that? Like, people who are younger than you can't do because they haven't been training. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, like, it's it's a challenge in terms of... Because, like, I've... Since since co- or since college, I've been, like, I'm exercising for... To be, like, the best I can be when I'm 80, right? Yeah. But still in the heat of the moment, like... Or you sign up for a race, you sign up for something, you're pumped about it. Um, you might, 
you might want to lay a little bit more on the line than is prudent, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. Or just you're feeling good one day and you feel like, yeah, I'm going to see how much I can do. I can see, you know, if you, it's tempting to set your personal PR on a day instead of sticking to the plan. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes some, uh, some level of, I think, I think if you define yourself by like your personal PR, and I'm only valuable as my personal PR, mm-hmm. like right now, it could, that's really tempting to like, if you're feeling good, to get a new PR instead of think the long long game, right? And it's like instant gratification, right? We're sort of instant gratification culture, right? Yeah. And we want, we want what we want now or in the next few months, <laughs> but, but not to wait three years for an even better PR, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's hard, it takes some uh, restraint I think you're totally right. Actually operate off of that mindset, even if you state that that's your goal, right? Yeah, I think you're totally spot on. I think that's like, I don't know if that's a cultural thing or if it's like a human thing. (laughs) Like, like I've been thinking about um, that concept a lot, actually. And I like that you said training to to be like to train for 80 mm-hmm. like that's actually where i've reoriented reoriented my goals as well it's like okay how do i train so i can lift weights or i can compete in something at 85 is mm-hmm. what i say yeah. that's what i'm working towards and so that means like i have to really adjust a lot of things and like i'm not good at it by any means yet like mm-hmm. you know i've hurt both my knees in the last six months <laughs> which says i'm not doing this right um but uh Luckily, there's some time to like yeah. figure out the process. Um, but yeah, the instant gratification with whether it's like with your fitness and your health, or whether it's with like your mental game or your relationships or mm-hmm. your career, like what people want with those things. Like if you like if you really want to do something that's interesting there and mm-hmm. like really change your situation, like you just have to be more focused on like the long term and like persistent and sticking being persistent and sticking to a plan yeah. and acquiring skills or else you just don't get there. Yeah. I my high school football coaches had this saying that I really like. It's called as they say they said it's all about small, seemingly insignificant seemingly insignificant, never ending improvement. Mm-hmm. So I just like small step by small step if it lasts forever with no setbacks or very minor ones, then, you know, the gain in the long term is huge, right? Exactly. Which is, like, not sexy to sell. Yeah, no. But it's, not at all. it's exactly what people need. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Uh, okay. Uh, well, maybe we can jump into, like, running form and stuff a little bit. Yeah. And, like, um, I think, well, so, let's see. I think running's interesting uh, because did we talk about the other week how like running is one of those things that we don't teach people to do? Uh huh. Yeah, I and, think you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I'd love to dive into like, um, it's also one of those things that I think when people get started with health and fitness, that's where they start. Mm-hmm. Um, and or like like kind of the cycle with races, people are like, oh, I'm just gonna run a 5k. Yeah. And so they just go and do it. Mm-hmm. Um. So what are like, what are the things people should be thinking about if they're going to start running? 
mm-hmm. or or maybe we should bump it up to like what are people what should people be thinking about if they're going to start do their first long race like how do you prepare for that and what are kind of the what's step one two and three yeah so i think with like running form um yeah a lot there's a big uh like thing out there of like your body just finds your natural running form you don't need to think about it um just go out and run and you'll get better at it and um i think that's true but with some caveats uh so I think your body tries to do its best with what it's got, right? So if you're, if you're like have a weak core or like inflexible hips or something, your body's going to try and find the best way to run with what you've got, right? And, and then, um, and then also your body gets stuck in certain habits, right? So you, even if you had a weak core and hips or something, or like weak ankles or something and you start running and say those things get stronger you might still be stuck in your old patterns Mm -hmm. of not the optimal running stride even if you've gotten stronger and you need to sort of re-educate your body a little bit um and uh, yeah sure i think running barefoot for example can help you tune into like your body a little bit um, but I think just regular attention to your form is really important and to start off early to, to figure out what might be getting in the way of your optimal running form, like weaknesses, um, imbalances. Are there any, like, is there like a, any weakness or imbalance you see like really commonly and or like people are new to running? Like, I know there's tons yeah. cause it's pretty complex movement, yeah. but like there's maybe like one or two that you're like, okay, these are things that people misunderstand yeah i i think uh the biggest things are like lower leg strength like calf ankle uh feet Mm -hmm. and then hip and core strength so people who have a a strong athletic background you don't see it as much if they've been playing team sports since they were a kid and like have a lot of like dynamic movement experience and haven't like taken you know, 10 years off of it to get a PhD or something, you know, mm-hmm. then they're, they're, uh, they're, they're pretty solid still, right? If they've been doing that. So don't, we don't see that much. They might have mobility issues with their ankles or hips, um, but, but tend to not. But, but for those who do, the common weaknesses, yeah, you're, because your ankles and hips are not as straightforward of a joint, right any sort of weakness there can cause things to sort of move out of their optimal alignment and also like a tightness too so um and people don't realize how much the core and hip strength plays you know running you're jumping from one foot to one foot which is a very you know so you have a little bit of a side to side movement going on yeah, and you, you're just, you know, your structure, one foot's on the ground coming to a hip, which is supporting your torso in the middle. There's like, it's not a straightforward structure, right? It's not like, you know, you were you wouldn't build a building with one side, you know, a, a leg coming down to one side supporting this structure mm-hmm. above, right? That's like a very imbalanced. And, and basically, you imagine yourself on one leg, your hip needs to be strong, or not to pop out to the side or like something to sag or something like that. So, uh, yeah, 
and and also your hip can rotate your tibia can rotate so just having things to make sure it's not over rotating or under rotating and that's a strength issue you think yeah strength and mobility are related i think and so it could be could be one or the other or both kind of working together gotcha so like you mentioned um strength in your low in your lower leg in your calves your ankles uh-huh. um which i see a lot actually people being both um weak and really tight in their uh-huh. lower leg and their ankles like like the act of sitting driving like um can really build up tension in your calves and like walk up your ankles yeah it's like how would you address that with someone if like a runner came to you and like they needed to like build mobility or build strength there yeah so i think with you don't need a huge level of mobility for running you need a lot more for like olympic lifts and things like that um so the vast majority of people i look at their their ankles are mobile enough okay for running um that may not be strong enough so uh yeah and to build up build up strength there takes a lot of time and and like diligence and just yeah it takes time so you can't sort of expect magic in the course of weeks for sure Uh, is that just you have to go run or do you have exercises you would teach yeah so i think running is helpful and like doing bouts of sprinting is helpful and then, uh, you know, there, uh, I'm not sure how, I think calf raises or band things help for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, there's a thing called like a foot shortening exercise where you're just really trying to strengthen the muscles of the like arches. Your toes, so it's not actually crunching your toes. Crunching your toes, uh, uses like different muscles then. So you can imagine like this motion versus mm-hmm. this motion. It's like this motion is actually done with the palm of your hand and this motion is actually like in your forearm. Okay. Um, so like the foot shortening is kind of this motion where your your palm is, is working and not your hmm. not your so like, calf. Gotcha. So you're trying to isolate in the, in the foot yeah. and the ankle. Yeah. So it's just stabilizing the arch is what that foot shortening thing exercise does. Um, so yeah, using all all those things and especially just targeting what what you're weak at so like if you see a lot of like um over pronation then then probably the arch strengthening and calf strengthening stuff will be helpful so yeah it kind of depends on the individual case what would probably be best for them so you so if running then maybe you're looking more at the hip and what that's doing then you would have like the ankle or the knee yeah, unless there's like huge uh, something that looks really bad in the ankle and knee, the like the greatest power and improvements come from the hip mm-hmm. and core. Uh, so, yeah. What about like when you're when you run? Like, I think people think they need to like reach out really far ahead of them, or um, how do you? Like what is what are people supposed to be thinking about when it comes to like where they're putting their feet and how they're moving their mm-hmm. legs through through the motion? Yeah, so probably the biggest thing that helps with uh, with speed and and uh, form and or biggest thing to think about is landing cl- as close as possible to under your center of mass, mm-hmm. which uh, helps with a faster turnover 
and uh, shorter ground contact time, shorter time of your feet on the ground. Um, so you, a lot of people say land, land under your center of gravity, and that's what it will feel like, but technically you can't actually land with your foot contacting the ground straight under your center of gravity yeah. unless you're accelerating or facing a really strong headwind or uh, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you need a certain amount of time to absorb shock before you're like under your center of gravity but if you you want to spend less time absorbing the shock of your body weight landing as possible does okay. that make sense so that you have less breaking as you're reaching out in front of you with the foot is that like a speed thing or is that like an injury prevention thing like why so it's it's both i think so it's a speed thing for sure because spending less time breaking um spending less time on the ground you'll faster turnover get a little faster uh, turnover also, is just the amount of time it takes to switch between legs yeah like how many steps per minute is turnover so taking more steps per minute you know you're you're like less force per step but it's also a, a strength thing might be keeping you back from that a little bit because you need to aura being overweight sort of thing because you need to absorb the shock of your body weight landing in that first part of your stride mm -hmm. so if you're not strong enough or if you're like overweight that you might not be ready to absorb that in a quick sort of way right yeah. um yeah so it's definitely a speed thing and yeah faster turnover is like you tr you're trying to spread out the impact into more steps versus uh so yeah the the some of the best injury prevention running is like a shuffle, <laughs> which shuffle. It, almost it looks like like really small little bunch of little steps because you're taking very little little force per step. Okay. It's not going to be the fastest running. Yeah. Um, so that's actually okay. Yeah, that's okay, um, but it's not going to help you get faster probably. But it'll help you start to develop form and strength yeah. and you can scale up yeah. from that. Yeah, taking smaller, smaller, faster steps would be helpful to kind of dissipate some of that shock of like big steps. Gotcha. The people you work with, like, do you tend to work with people who are kind of getting back to it? Or is it more often people who are a little further down the line in their like running career, if you will. It really depends. Uh, so there's some people who have been running for a while and now they're trying to qualify for Boston or or they're trying to jump into like a new race distance that they haven't tried before. Mm -hmm. And then some people are pretty new to it. Some people used to run and now they're getting back into it and finding themselves older and struggling more. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's kind of all over the place in terms of experience level that I work with. Okay. So you have a lot of different things that you, a lot of different places you start people then, it sounds yeah. like. Huh. Um, what do you, like, I know there's this idea out there sometimes that, like, oh, running's bad for you or distance running is bad for uh -huh. you. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And, like, yeah. Yeah, so I think, like, uh, it it's so like running is bad for your knees or ruin your knees uh yeah it ruins some people's knees for sure <laughs> but so does like sitting at home and not doing anything all right so i think um being careful and progressive and gradual about it and focusing on overall fitness as well and overall strength is you know it actually builds up um straight it builds up strength but also your your uh what's it called collagen your uh 
your joints actually get more of, uh, what is it called? They're less susceptible to like normal injury. And that's because they're building strength or because? The, I think the, the, what's it, cartilage actually like thickens and strengthens mm -hmm. with time if you're not like overdoing it and wearing it, you know, wearing it. Because you can, you can overdo it, right? You could try and run 20 miles a day off of nothing and you'd probably be de destroying your, your knees, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but you could also like build up progressively and make sure you factor in um, both days of rest and recovery and seasons of like easier rest and recovery. And over time, you'll like build up your joints and your yeah i think they've done some studies where like the incidence of knee injury is actually less in runners like statistically oh than in non-runners and, and, and i think i have to look up that again yeah. but nice. but it's but yeah it's like you know you because you've heard cases of i ran and my knees hurt you know you think therefore um yeah, running causes knee injury. And if you, yeah, if you haven't been running ever and you're a 50-year-old and you try to, like, start running, you you know, there's a good chance you're going to hurt your knees unless you're really careful with it, mm. right? So, but at the same time, if you've been running gradually since you're 30 and you're now 50, then you'll probably have pretty strong joints, right? Yeah. So. That makes a lot of sense. And so really... For you, the the answer is kind of like, <clears throat> which makes sense. I mean, this is I think with almost anything like I do CrossFit and be like, oh, CrossFit will get you hurt. Uh -huh. It's like, well, if you don't, if you don't know what you're doing and you go in too aggressively and too hard, like, yeah, it'll definitely get you hurt. Mm -hmm. You're moving lots of weight around quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but if you take a progressive approach to running or weightlifting. Mm -hmm. Like you can avoid some of that injury because yeah. essentially, if you skip over steps, that's where the problems come in. Yeah, yeah, it's like CrossFit. You know, you have former like high school athletes come into CrossFit after not doing anything ten years, and they used to clean whatever, and they're like, "Oh, let me show everybody up," and you know, they hurt themselves. Mm -hmm. Same thing with running, right? Like people come into it and think, "No pain, no gain. I just got to run a ton and." they're just not careful and don't don't learn a proper way to progress then you get injured right yeah with that with like race training too like that's been a thing of like just oh you just run a lot to run far uh -huh. like is that how do you train your clients like when they're preparing to jump to the next race is it volume or something else it's it's a mix like uh you know variety is the spice of life and exercise okay. and and there's there's specificity right the rule of specificity you get better at what you do right so if you're training to run a marathon yeah you probably need to run a lot and you probably need to run far mm -hmm. to to prepare your body to do that but then with with a ton of the same thing with without variety comes higher injury risk and um and then also, like, uh, there may be things you're not working running long, or there are things you're not working running long that you would benefit your marathon too. Like what? Like what's an example? Um, like, like, uh, like long running, you're 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 not working on uh, strength as much. You're not um, you're not working on 
you're only using one strategy to develop your aerobic system as well when multiple multiple strategies would probably be helpful so yeah if you're if you're training run a marathon the like majority of your running is long and slow or or at least slow mm-hmm. um, but then throwing in a few other things as well as like some good strength training to supplement may like help pick up some of those weaknesses that aren't getting addressed by running long. So do you have like someone who's training for a marathon with you, would you have them participate in a specific strength training, like workout a couple times a week or sprinting? Like, yeah, I think it depends. So most people unfortunately come to me too close to their marathon to do a whole lot before, uh, before like, so if I had somebody like six months before their event that then early on we do a lot more variety okay. right but if, if people come to me three months i'm thinking about not accepting people that close to their event anymore because really? it's like it's like i don't i don't feel like i'm doing a good service to you, you. or like um i don't know i still want to help people right so whatever i'm just like next time let's start working ahead of your event yeah well, no i think that makes a lot of sense yeah. like i mean training like because it's really about peaking at the marathon, right? Yeah. Like you're trying to use train volume and intensity in such a way that you'll be at your fittest mm-hmm. when you run that marathon because you need time to recover after that, right? Like it yeah. really beats you up when you push yourself that way. Yeah. Um, and that's in any sport too. Like yeah. that's like, uh, but if you, yeah, if you come with a shortened window, you're only going to be able to do so much. Yeah to help them like it's kind of damage control at a certain point if they've been training not optimally yeah it's like if they're three months before the marathon it's like okay yeah we got to figure out a way we got to get your mileage up and get you to like be prepared to run a long way and we really don't have the like space and freedom to work on like your strength your like your high-end speed and things that would would eventually lead to a much faster marathon um, but like with only three months to work, we just kind of do what's going to be most beneficial in this short amount of time. Is that case by case or do you jump them into a certain cycle of training? It is case by case because some people have been running decent mileage and they're like very, they they haven't come from like complete rest. So mm-hmm. they're like, they're ready to run the mileage. So then we can do some other more high intensity type stuff and to that's like sprinting or that's like long runs uh it's both so like sprinting is yeah we do sprinting we do hill sprints we also do like longer intervals uphills or flat like um uh yeah like it's like vo2 max intervals like three minutes or something like that depending on the person a little bit and then we may we'll also do some sustained running uh, at like their kind of maximum aerobic rate or um, or we'll do like a, a longer intervals to kind of above it's like called lactic threshold or like things like that yeah okay. yeah so it kind of depends on what uh, just hearing the person's history looking at their past training like what may be some things that they've been neglecting some areas that could like yield some good results Gotcha. So you'll okay. So you'll just try your best to assess yeah. the weaknesses. Um, 
and like say that person had been with you for that for a six month cycle, so uh-huh. you could really work through a training program. Like, where would you have an athlete at three three months out? Is that what uh-huh. you're, the scenario we're talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, where would you put them like then in like a training cycle? Yeah, I think so. What what I try and do with six months or like longer is to do a more experimental approach, like to try. Hey, let's give you like sort of like a, a you know dosage of of this sort of exercise for two three four weeks or something and let's have some like benchmark assessments that we do and see how you're improving on those assessments um month to month kind of a thing and then so we can sort of see what's like what's helping you the most and and sort of learn from that and then as they're trying to peak we might bring some of those back that have been helpful for them in the past um, as well as like increasing their mileage. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so there's not necessarily like a specific program. It sounds like it's really. Yeah. So there's there's like programs out there, and and there's like I have a general like framework of like a program that I think works for like the majority of people, especially people who are like less like untrained or not as experienced but then i think those who are extremely there's two like there's the vast majority of people and you know or not vast majority but a lot of people who are like relatively untrained um that it'll work for them you know and and you know that's but when people are really well trained you're looking for like marginal gains so it takes some like greater uh attention yeah. To sort of figure out where those areas that we can improve are so that's that's one and then there's those who are extremely unprepared that we have to be really careful about not hurting them and like maybe the rules that apply for these ones need to be uh, modified for uh, those who are like you know very overweight or like very and have never run before in their life do you see that? Are there people like who are really overweight who sign up for marathons? And- yeah, more and more it seems like. So like in the running boom in the 60s, I think everybody who did it was like like really fit. But more and more there's a lot of people doing the walk-run approach okay. to, to complete half marathons and marathons. Interesting. And then, um, yeah, and even, and I imagine that's still really taxing, even yeah, if you're walking some of it. Yeah, for sure. And um, because those running portions are like at a higher intensity, they're essentially doing an interval workout for their entire race, you know, because that running intensity is going to be more intense than, than what the running intensity is for someone who constantly runs, mm-hmm. right? So, um, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, it takes some, some and, and I think for the ultras, there's even people who are signing up for those being like, less uh less fit baseline it's surprising right but um oh yeah a lot of people you know you can walk up all the uphills and just relax down the hills yeah but uh yeah interesting to me so like if that's the case like do you i mean have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you want to kind of dissuade someone from the race they're about to take on yeah for sure <laughs> yeah. what like how do you do that or uh, what do you do uh so i i don't usually dissuade them for com- 
from completing the race maybe um, unless they're injured or there's something like big like red flag and this may like hurt you yeah <laughs> um, but usually I just try to like adjust expectations more like you know hey like we don't really have the time to like get you to the place where you can like run this entire race without walking um, or you're you, you know, I know you, like, two years ago ran this time. You're not going to PR this race. Um, I, I, I think it's very likely you'll PR this race, and I think it's probably best if we don't even try to PR and to, like, just use it as a training run. Oh, and really? let's, let's sign up for another race, like, a year from now. You know, because, yeah, you, if you try and, like, kill every race and, you you know, it needs more recovery time, right? So if someone's not ready, let's treat this as a long walk run, you know, training run. <laughs> and uh, and then we'll like not try and PR so that we can jump back into training a little sooner, lose less like recovery time from that effort. And then, yeah, like X months from now, let's try another one and be a little better prepared and, and PR for that one. Gotcha. How like with like when you run a race is you, are you um, I don't know if this even works this way but like are you trying to PR your times on a certain schedule like how do you attack that So for for trail runnings the trail running which is mostly what I do there's uh, PRs are almost like that don't matter because depending on the course you could P, if you do the same course over and over um, you could PR on the course but then for the longer the distance, the more that weather uh, affects your performance. And also terrain, I guess, is going to be really drastically different. Yeah, so like if it's raining or if it's really hot, your times are going to be slower, likely. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, less about, uh, it's less about PRs and more about like how I feel or how I feel I did, like, you know, relatively to like yeah how, how fit I feel for it you can you can think like I you know it's hard not to value like placing right yeah. in the overall place um, but then that also depends on who shows up day to day right I could place really high because nobody showed up <laughs> you know it's like oh I won a race but nobody fast showed up yeah, so still a w, right? yeah <laughs> but then you know I could you know get like 40th in a race but it's like the most competitive ultra around you know it's like that's, yeah. you know. Well, I, I asked from the perspective of like, like really going back to that statement about, okay, how do you train to race at 80? Because I think that's like, I think that, I mean, this is my opinion, but I really believe that's the best goal to have in whatever you're doing. Like, mm -hmm. unless you're competing at the highest level, like you're going to be in the Olympics or you're going to yeah. like be a NFL player or something like that. Yeah. So if you're not doing that, then in my opinion, it's like, well, wouldn't you rather... And even there, you should assess, like, is this activity going to cause me to have a worse life after my mm -hmm. 20s? Yeah. Which I think is a question a lot of athletes don't consider. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, it's about, okay, how can, if you really love running, mm -hmm. then how do you get to do this for a long time? Yeah. And so that means you need to, when you're when you're engaging in races, because you're obviously not going to wait till you're 80 to race. Like, you yeah. want to do it now. Yeah. Like, how would you coach someone on if that were their goal, say, on, like, how they would engage in trail races 
pace themselves in such a way that they're not overexerting themselves. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think like, uh, yeah, like no, no race is worth like, like destroying yourself in. Right. So if you're, I mean, I often like, you know, people, you always see people sprinting across the finish line of, of any long race you often do. Right. And it's like, why are you doing that? Like you're going to get five extra seconds, but that like last big sprint is, you know, you've been pounding your body for like hours or, you know, for the ultras, sometimes like 10, 12, 24 hours, like why sprint across the finish line, <laughs> you know, just, just like, you know, chill out and, uh, and go through it. Unless you're, unless you're trying to pass a cutoff that's going to get you something else that you want to accomplish or like, unless something is really valuable to you or unless you're going to place in the top three or something, there's, there's really no like big reason to like rally for a huge, uh, a huge thing. Um, yeah. And yeah. And similar like throughout, uh, yeah, the end end stages of your race, like, I don't know if it's worth it to destroy yourself. Sure. You're like path, you're, you're, pushing through some sort of mental challenges and you're learning how to suffer. Um, but I think there's a way of doing that without hurting yourself. So. Gotcha. So really keeping that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. I think too about the, like that sprint at the end of a long race, like five seconds. Yeah. Is that, cause if you're like a PR and endurance racing, like what is that? What are the the changes you typically see there? Like, are they five second increases? Are they like minute increases? Like, what's realistic for someone? If people are doing marathons or half marathons, you can you can make pretty big increases with proper if you haven't you know been training properly or you're relatively new to it. You can drop a lot of time. Um, it depends on the person. As you get closer to like your potential, right? Yeah. which um, I think for most people is pretty high and much higher than they're at, you know? Yeah. Once you get closer to your potential as your body body type and whatever genetics you've been given, right? Um, I think most people's potential is much higher than they think it is maybe sometimes. Um, as you get closer to it, it's harder to make improvements, right? And that's when it gets to like the seconds <laughs> improvements in your marathon or... Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, you can definitely, like, if you're, yeah, if you're, like, four hours for a marathon or something, you could drop half an hour, you know, with yeah. with with uh, a good year or two of, of training, I think. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Like, okay, so if someone's doing their first marathon, what is a realistic, what is a good... And it's, and obviously it's going to depend on all kinds of factors of your age, your weight, your relative mm -hmm. fitness. But say you're a moderately fit person, um, maybe you're not super trained at running, but you prepare well. Like, what are good times, like average times that people should be happy with as like a starting base point? And then maybe where should they be working to? Yeah, it's really it's so individual, right? I think like yeah, uh like often a 4-hour barrier is uh a big one for a lot of like 
newer runners for, for a marathon just because because most most people if you're like running the whole thing will be under five hours or a lot of people will mm-hmm. not everybody but um so then like getting past that hour mark to be four hours but then if you've been an athlete your whole life and some other things and you know you're pretty fit and stuff like then three hours is a, a barrier right or three and a half is a, is a barrier for a lot of people that they want to get through so it, yeah really really depends on the, yeah so like under five it sounds like is is means you probably trained well and then getting to that four hour mark means you're you're actually getting competitive in some way or that's that's a big like kind of just community threshold that people strive yeah because like for a half like uh, for a half for people new to running halves and who are running the whole thing two hours is like often like a pretty cool uh barrier to cross and uh yeah so just because it's yeah because one hour takes a lot more <laughs> that's like elite level now <laughs> nobody yeah nobody is not elite is going to one hour so then two hours is right perhaps the big thing gotcha nice okay um should we transition the nutrition side of things yeah that sounds good yeah um yeah i guess why don't you yeah if you want to kind of if there's specific questions you want to take over on that yeah i think um yeah, I guess I've just been, you know, I've I've heard about the paleo thing and the low carb, high fat diets and stuff like that, and I haven't really investigated too much. So I think the first time I actually like, you know, I'm so skeptical of fad diets or fad anything that yeah. I just don't really look into it until it's been sticking around for a while. I think, um, I think, it, yeah. So I think the biggest thing that like I was like, huh, scratching my head is when this guy Zach Bitter broke some sort of American and world records, I think, running around a track mm-hmm. and he like claims, you know, he he really is a big proponent of of diet as a part of his success mm-hmm. and definitely as part of his diets uh, as, you know, various strategies, there's low carb, high fat involved in there during certain phases of his training um so yeah i started to look into it a little more and um yeah my my current my current thing that where i'm at currently with it is i'm pretty confident it's helpful for really long distance Mm -hmm. to like train your body to burn more fat for fuel Mm -hmm. Um, less confident how helpful it is for 5Ks or whatnot. Yeah. And I also think it's more helpful for those who have been training for a while who are looking for those marginal gains mm-hmm. and maybe less helpful for newer runners. Um, yeah, because you definitely can train your body to burn more fat for fuel. Yeah. But then it seems like uh, you while doing that you're sacrificing months or weeks of um more heavy training you could be doing because you're not using you're not you're you're adapting and you're not able to like just do as much because you're trying to Mm -hmm. force your body to adapt yeah way so i'm just wondering like what i'd love to hear your experiences about experimenting with diet for yourself Mm -hmm. and uh, how you think 
um, whether ketogenic or just lower carb diets could be helpful in the yeah well i think i mean and given my experience with it has not been the context of endurance yeah although there was i mean uh i mean this is for me this is endurance for other people this is not but there was a day when i was doing the ketogenic stuff where i was actually fasted for the day um and i did a 55 mile bike ride with a group of people and like none of us were athletes by any means but like we were all relatively fit and mm. i was definitely the one setting the pace mm. and like going like and, and like you had felt fasted for a day at that point i had started the day fasted so okay. i had eaten the day before mm -hmm. um like normal food and then that day i was in a fasted or a fat burning state and mm. it was like i should say like mimicking fasting so mm. like I had, I think I, at the time, was doing, like, the butter in your coffee thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I had that in the morning. And then I also had some, like, amino acids throughout the day mm -hmm. just to have a little bit of something in my system. But yeah. that, like, straight amino acids don't, they don't digest them in the same way. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't activate glycolysis yeah. the way that, like, a normal protein or carb source would. would. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, like, I think... The whole, I mean, I think there's legitimacy to high fat, low carb, and ketogenic. However, I do think that it's really hot right now, and there's a lot of silliness around it. Uh -huh. um, like, and kind of like I think a really broad way of understanding it um, for people who maybe don't know who are listening to this, but like the idea of like, oh well, Paleolithic people like didn't have access to um the dense carb th carb foods that we have today so therefore we should cut them out of our diet and we should subsist on the things that they can forge and mm -hmm. so like you know nuts and seeds and berries and like animal protein yeah. is the idea so like eat lots of vegetables eat lots of animal protein and do that um but i think there's kind of a flaw in the thinking um there's a few and like I would, I would say my diet is pretty paleo. Like mm -hmm. I adhere to those quality guidelines. Mm -hmm. But the the flaw in the thinking is not the high quality. It's kind of the, the volumes of foods. So mm -hmm. like, if you think about, like meat. Like if you're a hunter gatherer, like and you need to catch an animal to have meat. Like you're probably not going to catch a giant animal every day. Yeah. Um, and so like, and even if you do catch an animal or two every day, like it's probably not going to feed everyone in your community yeah. a large portion of that yeah so um, not eating steak for breakfast lunch or dinner yeah <laughs> and you're not or, or maybe a better example is like bacon right you're uh -huh. not eating bacon every single meal because there's only so much bacon on yeah like, only so much fatty stuff on that animal yeah um so yeah like and yeah both of those uh so there's that but then um and then the other side of it too is with with fats like you're probably not having the same access to fat that we do today. Mm -hmm. Like when you look at um, just the amount, like the volume of like calories and, and or like the amount of calories and like equivalent volume of like butter mm -hmm. versus like vegetable, it's like great. Yeah. Or even, even butter versus like a lean piece of chicken. Yeah. Like it's a huge difference. Like, you know, that, that butter has about twice the calories of like the same weight of, of protein mm -hmm. or carb 
And so those things are real. And so, um, and so like bring it back to endurance racing and like low carb, high fat diets for me, kind of what I think about there is like, okay, what is, what is the system going on there? Um, and like, essentially we're, the idea is that we're going to tap into a social, like a survival instinct that we had that are, or adaptation that our body has that when we're low on food, it can burn, um, adipose tissue. Mm-hmm. And so, um, to get there, what does it take? And I actually think it's easier to cultivate fat burning state than people say it is. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't, I don't know that you would need to, um, have a big change in your training for a long period of time to get there. Um, and I would also imagine I, I have, and this is like at the edge of my understanding, yeah. but like my understanding is that people who tend to be leaner tend to be relatively good fat burners already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, something, I think something that like really shifted me on my perspective with all this stuff was, well, so I was like heavy in it. I did full on ketogenic diet for nine months. So I was mm-hmm. eating primarily fats, um, used intermittent fasting to help mm-hmm. me stay in that state a little bit. So I wouldn't eat breakfast. I'd have meals between like two, I think I had like a six hour eating window. Mm-hmm. So like two and, and eight was mm-hmm. when I was eating. I'd have two meals. One was pretty small. One was rather big. Um, moderate proteins, like no carbs, like broccoli. I considered broccoli a carb at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and and then like once a month or twice a month, I'd have like a refeed day where uh-huh. I'd have some type of carbohydrate. Um, I wasn't as dialed on that as I should have been. Um, and for me, like some things I noticed were. Um, when I'd go out snowboarding, for instance, or I was on that bike ride, I could go all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't have to go in and eat the same way that the people with me needed to. Yeah. So that was really nice. Like it definitely allowed me to, I was burning something mm-hmm. when I wasn't eating. Yeah. Um, and like, and then the other thing is like that they talk about how it heightens your kind of mental awareness mm-hmm. and like this higher state and like I definitely noticed like some good increased focus for quite a period of time which was really good yeah um but for me and this could have been it's that type of diet requires a pretty high adherence because you can knock yourself out of ketosis really easily and Mm -hmm. then you're kind of in this limbo state of like your body searching for fuel um just because like when it comes to energy systems the body wants there's like a, there's an order to it. And mm-hmm. so like, um, if you have glucose present, it's going to prioritize that. Yeah. It's just how things work. Yeah. Um, but it's also, um, part of, because when you, when it comes to activity, like there's like the, the, the creatine, uh, creatine phosphasin system, which is mm-hmm. first. So that's like when you start activity, yeah. you've got, you're using creatine as fuel for the first like 90 seconds. Yeah. And then I think after that, the next phase is glycolysis. And there, I think that's what it is. Yeah. I should double check this. But that's like a two to three minute window. And there you're burning sugars, blood glucose, stored glycogen. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the third stage is where your body can choose to either continue to burn carbohydrates if they're present mm-hmm. or it can burn fats as ketones. Mm-hmm. Um, which is essentially the fuel that your body converts fat into to burn it. 
Mm-hmm. So your body doesn't doesn't actually burn fat; it burns ketones, which are made from fats. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, ah, shit, where was I going with that? Uh, adapting to yeah, uh, yeah. Well, so like, I think that like that system is something that we all. It goes back to like adherence. So like if you, if you're not adhering to the diet strictly, you're mm-hmm. constantly your body's getting like oh well there's glucose and yeah. there's not glucose like what is there I don't mm-hmm. know, um, and so you have to really adhere to it or else you can find yourself in kind of this energy limbo where your body doesn't have a good way of fueling you and that's where people can get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but also if you're if you're living in that middle system um, where you have to burn glucose then you're and you don't have enough present like in your body stores some like you have your body replenishes glycogen stores in your liver and your muscle um and so like that happens over time but if you're burning through that too quickly then you run into all kinds of issues hormonal issues and things of that nature and that's essentially what happened to me was mm-hmm. I ended up running into some issues with my thyroid hormones where mm-hmm. they were way too low because mm-hmm. I was essentially switching in and out, not all the time, but often enough that I was burning through glycogen stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, so that's kind of like why I've now switched away from ketogenic diets mm-hmm. and have more of a more standard diet that's got a healthy amount of, I mean, not that it's unhealthy, but like has like an amount of protein, carbs, and fats that I watch and, yeah. and track. Um, I still adhere to kind of the paleo standards of like food quality, because mm-hmm. I think food quality is important, but yeah. then use like kind of a macro tracking approach to like keep those in level. Um, but with that, even though I do that, I still think about like, okay, how can I, how can I keep my body in a position where it's wanting to burn fats? And um, there's actually a really interesting study uh, that I'll, I'll find and link up in the show notes on this podcast mm-hmm. for anyone who wants to check it out. But essentially they had participants and they fed them, um, they fed them uh, breakfast every day and there are four different groups. There's a control group that I think received just pasta and then the other groups all had pasta, but then they also had, one had MCT oil added to that, one had olive oil, and one had butter added to it. Mm-hmm. And um, all three groups that had the pasta with the fat actually registered a level of blood ketones, which is, you know, shows that your body's in fat burning mode if there's ketones in your blood system. Um, and like, uh, and it was a, a level that was high enough not to treat people um, who are like have cancer or yeah. diabetes um, things of that nature but for anyone who's maybe doing wanting to do uh, get into a fat memory mode for fitness or for maybe they're looking to lose some weight mm-hmm. um, like they had enough register to like get them into those states mm-hmm. and so that was really interesting to me that you could that essentially this study this, these researchers had participants who were able to achieve fat burning even though they're still having a carb like pasta which is considered like the worst carb ever if you're a low carber (laughs) um and so i think uh there's ways to um to get to fat burning 
um, without completely limiting carbs. And kind of what I wonder about when it comes to athletic performance um, and like just how dependent we are on carbohydrates in that, if maybe, um, maybe we just have like we've overcorrected in the direction of using processed sugars as fuel, mm -hmm. where if we were to come back to center a little bit, we could uh, like tap into a little bit more of our body's fat burning like abilities. Yeah. And maybe that's where you would see some performance decreases at first. Yeah. Um, but could still access it. And so like, if the goal is to train for longevity, like for me, it's like, okay, I know I can get some short term gains right now. Like for me, like in weightlifting, if I like put a bunch of like, processed carbohydrates into my system right after a workout yeah. um, and I know that my body's gonna have something to do with that so it's relatively okay but if I want to go for a long time like I can actually not do that as heavy I don't have to cram myself full of carbs and proteins like even maybe it's okay to not have a meal right away mm -hmm. um, and let the body like adapt to that situation that could make me better for long-term endurance. Yeah. And so playing around with things like fasting, um, playing around with things like exogenous ketones, you familiar with those? No. Um, you can buy these like, um, I just had some, I just used them up, but uh, it's like a, you can put them in liquid or powder form. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is it's, it's ketones that are um, made from like salts mm -hmm. um, that you can take and essentially it's like ready for your body to use right away. Oh, wow. um, and so you can give yourself like a boost of ketones mm. and to kickstart you into like that fat burning mode. I see. And so something I've done is um, wake up, take some of that. Uh, some of them taste really bad. Yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind. <laughs> um, but you take, I usually take a half serving. I use keto force. So I'll take a half serving of that because mm -hmm. a full serving like really lights me up. Yeah. Um, and then go for a run or a walk after that. Uh -huh. And like, that's a way to like jumpstart yourself into fat burning mode. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then you can have food after that. And so mm -hmm. things like that are fasting. Like at the moment, I'm actually at the end, this is day three of a three day fast. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've had some ketones, I've had less than like about 10 grams of butter a day, yeah. just as a little something, and then like yeah. five grams of amino acids a day. Yeah. Um, and so that's enough <clears throat> to keep it from my, me not having a headache. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also to help stave off muscle wasting, but, but keep me in a ketogenic state uh -huh. um, and not activate the, the digestive system. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've done, this is the second time I've fasted. I'd like to do them more often. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I will after this experience. Like I, I didn't for a while because I was, was really worried about it not going well and like losing focus and not being yeah. able to work. Um, but this experience has gone really well. Like I've actually had good focus over the last mm -hmm. three days. Um, the last time I did a fast was a year ago. I did a five-day fast. Uh -huh. um, but so I think now my goal is to do a fast once a month or maybe once every two months mm -hmm. um, just to promote to keep my body in tune with its ability to to burn fats to, to become comfortable with the feeling of being a little bit hungry and and know that that's okay because mm -hmm. um, really like when I think about that um, 
like having food in abundance the way we do today mm-hmm. like is really new like yeah. pretty sure like less than 100 years new yeah. like maybe 200 <laughs> years tops and so like and it's still not new to a lot of parts of the world <laughs> yeah it's true exactly yeah. there are people who are surviving on very little yeah um yeah like when you think about things like dollar a day poverty yeah. like the only way that can be a thing is if people can live on a dollar a day for a relatively like because otherwise whole families would be dying away mm-hmm. it's the fact like like humans are incredibly adaptive machines mm-hmm. um and so but we have like because we're so used to surviving on nothing and that's been just so much part of the human condition for like for a long 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 mm-hmm. time uh when we live in a place where there's so much abundance around us our instincts still tell us if we have a hunger pain you need to look for food start looking for food now because you don't know when you're going to find it yeah even though rationally i know oh i'm hungry when i need food there's a ton of food in my my refrigerator yeah. And my cabinet's just sitting there. Uh-huh. Um, and I've never actually gone hungry ever once in my life. Uh-huh. Um, and so, like, I think, and, like, our ancestors, like, I know they didn't live as long as us, but mm-hmm. they did, like, they did hunt, they did tend fields, they did, like, you know, run mm-hmm. and, and use their bodies. And so, um, like, I think that probably getting fat adapted is I think more of a mental game than it is a, a I think there's definitely a physical side of it but mm-hmm. I think overcoming the mental hurdle is a bigger part and just understanding of like oh this feeling I'm feeling is not a bad feeling right now like yeah it'll go away and I can get something in me and and mm-hmm. go for it so I don't know that's that was kind yeah. of all over the place but those are some of my general thoughts I guess yeah so I guess getting to like some specific thoughts so um, I, I just finished like a race that I ran and was training for. So now I like have nothing on my schedule and I'm trying to like, I'm, you know, curious about this fat burning thing. Also curious about some other training strategies. So me personally, in my own training, I'm planning to embark on a series of experiments. Cool. Right. So to sort of like experiment myself, try some things, see what works. Um, so, um, just curious so what what i have gathered so far from the research around endurance and fat adaptation is like they people can get relative make improvements of fat adaptation in as little as two weeks Mm -hmm. experimentally like and in burning more fat during their running Um, but then like people like endurance elite athletes who boast about being like uh, like high fat low carb they have astronomical numbers like 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 they claim or no no they've experimentally been tested like they're they're burning fat way higher than like than the average person even previously thought possible interesting in their endurance running right Mm -hmm. so there's clearly some sort of long-term adaptations too Mm -hmm. but like i don't know if any of them are like hardcore ketogenic because i don't know if you can do that long term (laughs) yeah you might run into problems with yeah like needing to have the glycogen stores. Yeah. If you're training at that level, you're going to, you're going to burn through them faster. Your body can like produce them. Yeah. Yeah. So just like from urge statement, I guess it was. Yeah. I guess. So it's like, from what I know, I'm like 
there's there's some adaptations to be had in terms of endurance training. Um, I you know this seems like a relatively new. There's not huge amounts of studies, and you know everybody's trying to do a new study that's not like similar to the last, yeah. which makes it like really hard to quantify what's the right amount or best amount or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so just curious if you had any thoughts about what might be some good experiments for me to try for you to try out yeah to to see just just based on what you know about nutrition and endurance Mm -hmm. and fat burning yeah i think um well when you train like when you your training schedule do you tend to run in the mornings the afternoons multiple um, I personally like running in late morning, late morning, maybe early afternoon okay. or afternoon, but not first thing in the morning usually. Gotcha. And do you tend to, how do you time out your, your meals around your training? Um, usually I have a small breakfast, like toast with peanut butter okay. and banana or something. Gotcha. Um, or like, you know, I have been experimenting even previously with like higher fats. So I had to have like eggs and lentils and stuff for breakfast mm-hmm. instead. But yeah, smaller breakfast. And then I usually try not to eat. I usually don't eat much on my runs and then or anything. And then have a, a decent meal, like a snack after I run and a decent meal within an hour or so after I run. I see. Okay. And then... Will your biggest meal of the day tendly be around your run, or does it just kind of depend on when you train? Depends how long of a run it is. If it's a pretty long run, it's probably the biggest meal. I don't know. Sometimes dinner is a bigger meal. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, I think maybe... I think the first thing I would do to experiment would maybe be skipping... Like, seeing if you can do a run fasted mm-hmm. and see how you feel, or doing it with like the only thing you've had that day is maybe like a small amount of like like some like mct oil or something Mm -hmm. like that or something some type of fat um and seeing what you get from that but like if you can get yourself i mean maybe not for your longest runs but if you're doing like more of what's a moderate yeah or like what you consider a short run for you Mm -hmm. where you are like i think starting to experiment with those and seeing like how you how well you can do those without any food in your system would be where yeah. I go first. Yeah. Um, and then I think like it depends on how drastically you want to take it. Like I think on a I think on like a an experimental level I might be drastic. I might try to like do things like do a day where you don't have any carbs and uh-huh. you just use fats and protein to fill yourself and see how you feel or try to like, um, or try to do things like where you have carbs at one meal of the day. So you're spending most of your day relying on fat sources with moderate protein, um, plenty of, you know, vegetables and that. Mm -hmm. And then like you have like your carb heavy meal at dinner or right after your run. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and essentially what you're doing there is you're mimicking fasting throughout most of your day. Uh, or you're mimicking fasting in the morning, um, then you do your run, which is going to continue to engage. Mm-hmm. Like, your body's going to know, okay, like, I don't have a ton of glycogen stored up right now. I just have what's available. 
I haven't, I don't have extra blood sugar floating around in my system right now, so I'm gonna, you know, use glycogen stores, and it'll be easier for it to shift over to burning ketones. And then, but by giving, like, getting carbs post-run, mm-hmm. uh, you're giving your body like fuel to recover right away. Oh, yeah. So it's like refilling, restoring those those stores, and um, so you're not running into those issues. Um, yeah, and and I I mean I think experimenting with fasting a little bit just in like longer term fast like mm-hmm. the and I wouldn't say doing heavy running with that by the yeah. way um, and actually like when it comes to fasting the way I think especially if you haven't done it before the best way to jumpstart it like like for me I've I now like I think I like. I stay in a fat burning state pretty easily. I think, mm-hmm. um, like I don't, like I don't experience like this last three days I've been in. I had to have an experience really, like on day one. I think near the end of the day I had a mild headache, but for mm-hmm. me I think that was due to uh, sodium levels more so than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being too low, being too low, mm-hmm. yeah. And so when you that's something too is when you reduce the amount of carbohydrates in your Mm -hmm. diet you tend to have to increase your sodium intake Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of times um, like more processed carbohydrates tend to have higher sodium contents in them just because in manufacturing Uh, but also I believe like higher carb diets help your your body retains sodium differently Mm -hmm. Um, and so you tend to have to increase your sodium levels um, like the amount of salt you add to things. And so mm-hmm. like just adding salt to your water can mm-hmm. really help. Um, but a good way, like a good way to do a three day fast that I like a protocol I like for that is to, um, start it the night before. So you, you end your day, you have your last meal at like five, mm-hmm. like four or five, um, and have it be a lower carb meal. So, mm-hmm. um, not, you know, like, and sometimes I'll have like lentils at that or something like that. Um, but like have it be a lower carb meal and then go to bed in the morning, sleep in as long as you can, if possible, just Mm -hmm. to like allow sleep to take some of the hard part away. And then the first thing you do when you wake up is drink a big glass of water with a pinch of salt in it. Um, maybe some lemon if you just want some flavor. Um, and then, uh, and then immediately fill up a, like a one liter or two liter water bottle. You essentially want to have two liters of water, um, but fill that up with water and some more salt mm-hmm. and then go out and walk mm-hmm. for anywhere from like one to four hours, like four hours, like mm-hmm. the longer the possible and like yeah. go on a long walk, um, like doing things like scheduling phone calls um, mm-hmm. or like having podcasts you want to listen to on that, walking, drinking that water as you go. And that like long state of, like low intensity steady state exercise like really helps kick you over into mm. ketosis more quickly mm. um sometimes before that on that first day i'll have like um some supplemental ketones or some mct oil um i will drink coffee mm. when i'm fasted um and then um i've heard of people like snacking on like dried seaweed as well if they get like mm-hmm. really have hunger cravings which is like almost no calories to yeah. it so it's like <laughs> really indulgent yeah um but it's but uh it's not like it's not like juices right like yeah, you're not getting yeah. that spike of sugar yeah. um 
And basically with that, and maybe like, you know, I'll have a little bit of butter here and there. If I do do a, a workout, I'll take um, like three grams of amino acids. Um, and I use the, the recovery amino tablets I have versus mm-hmm. the powder because there's no, there's no anything besides the mm-hmm. amino acids. So that's just like to help like keep muscle from wasting away. Mm-hmm. Um, and like do that for three days. And then, you know, the third day at four o'clock or whenever I started, I'll have mm-hmm. a meal. So that actually makes it nice. Psychologically, you get yeah. the same period of time, but you only have two whole days where you're not eating anything. Yeah. And then day three, you actually get to have a meal before you go to bed, which feels yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's tonight for you. Yeah. So tonight I'll have a awesome. meal and we're looking forward to it. Like, <laughs> yes, last night I was editing videos of cooking, <laughs> of like, of um, something I was cooking that was actually really good tasting. Uh-huh. And I like realized, I was like, holy shit, I need to stop. Yeah. It's making me really hungry and grumpy yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, and then, you know, in that with training volume, you obviously keep it lower. Like I haven't been doing super intense training throughout mm-hmm. the last couple of days. Like, and I've also been injured. So that's, works out well. it works out <laughs> well. Yeah. Um, but reducing the training volume a bit, I don't think it has to be extreme though. I think you can, I think test it. Like if you have, if you have room to, to sleep and you have room, like, cause you're fit and healthy, mm-hmm. I think you can push the limits a little bit. Mm-hmm. I do think that if you're really going to push it, you should definitely like, you know, get clinical advice and like talk to a doctor and like, we're not doctors by the way, yeah. like get checked out before you try any of this. Yeah. Um, fasting isn't for everyone. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, you'd be surprised at what the body can do and mm-hmm. how it can adapt. So, but I think long term for me, it's, I focus on fasting. I focus on um, supplementing ketones here and there. Uh, you know, using things like MCT oil, which is a fat that's really easy for the body to process and turn into ketones without it doesn't have to send it through the entire digestive tract to break it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it's not like there's some people out there who are just talking. It's like a miracle supplement, but it's like it's definitely a helpful tool. Yeah. Um, and even things like intermittent fasting, you know, skipping breakfast or, mm. or maybe skipping lunch and breakfast, having just one meal and like just doing things like that. Cause really endurance racing, I feel like is about testing your body's ability to adapt. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and like fueling is part of that. Yeah, um, sure. but if you can train yourself to need less fuel during a race, um, and figure out exactly what those thresholds for you are. I think mm-hmm. that's where your real performance benefits come from, yeah. um, or maybe different types of benefits. Um, but I would say that, like the issues that could come from like just pumping yourself full of like um, calorically dense processed carbohydrates, like fuel sources, the 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 health problems that come from that long term. Um, it's likely if you take a similar approach using fats in the exact same way and to an extreme, like extremes of either of those mm-hmm. and overusing of those tools is going to lead you into areas that people don't want to go. Yeah. Um, and so like, I don't believe that, like, I don't believe that like ridiculously high fat is, um, somehow more in tune with like how we were designed as as beings. 
Yeah, so what I'm currently, I'm thinking about some sort of variation, like do a few weeks of, two weeks of this and two weeks of that, mm-hmm. so that I'm never like having tons of, like an extreme diet for any long period of time. Mm-hmm. Do you know of any like strategies around like, like fasting first and then doing lower carb or like, lower carb and then fasting or like you were talking about refueling days where you have higher carbs mm-hmm. every so often. What are some of like the thoughts or strategies around that? Yeah. So, and admittedly when I was doing it, I was not tracking that the way I should have been. Uh-huh. So at the time I was, I would be like in keto all week and then I would like have a refeed day and I'd kind of just be, it would be more of like a cheat day, mm-hmm. which is like, I don't know, is fine if, if you're not being that extreme, but I think, I think it really did a disservice to me. Um, and so if I were doing that again, I would, on my, on my non, my like on keto or low, if I was doing keto, I would have less than 50 grams of carbs a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and in that, I'd be counting net carbs, so I'd be counting the carbs and vegetables. Um, and then once a week, I'd have a day where I'd have anywhere between 100 to 180 grams of carbohydrate included in the diet. Mm-hmm. Um, it would like less fat that day, and yeah. but higher carb. Um, and and there, you just kind of have to play around and see what feels best. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were doing a low carb diet, I would take, I would either, um, I would probably not worry about refeeding as much cause you don't need to. Um, I would probably focus on like carbs that tend to break down more slowly. So, and that are more filling. So things mm-hmm. like beans and lentils and potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would probably time them around the end of my training um after after a run after a run yeah Yeah. is when i would do that um if your if your goal is to get more fat adapted and you haven't been i think i think having them at one time and around your train at the end of your training is a good way to go Mm -hmm. um yeah i think those are the two places i would focus i think i would focus there and then maybe include intermittent fasting as like step one so like skipping a meal start off kind of to try and Mm -hmm. jumpstart the fat adapting exactly yeah yeah so either either start i would start with intermittent fasting so just nothing in the morning like Mm -hmm. coffee water Mm -hmm. uh tea um or doing like a small amount of like butter coffee type of thing or small amount of fat so mct oil or butter yeah um the i don't the like the bulletproof coffee thing mm-hmm. i think the standard recipe they have has like 30 grams of fat in it mm-hmm. i don't know that that's necessary and so i would like if you were going to do that type of thing i would maybe have that have a tablespoon of fat yeah um and like see how you do on that and then move on to maybe trying to go without anything see what mm-hmm. happens um and what's nice about that is you you don't actually focus on eating less throughout the day yeah, it's yeah. just closing that window in and like and i think that's a practice that's worthwhile um not just from like seeing what you can do training wise but also from like a longevity standpoint there's been some studies showing that 
you know, having restricted eating windows, um, like essentially like in really basic terms helps your body shift from kind of a building stage to like a kind of a cleanup stage. Mm -hmm. And so can help with like reducing inflammation, like mm -hmm. positive impacts on, you know, blood markers like cholesterol levels and insulin sensitivity, um, can even be shown to like help, uh, purge the body of precancerous cells or mm -hmm. misfolded proteins, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think like beyond athletic performance, like there's some things to look at from a long-term mm -hmm. standpoint with that. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. I'll probably check in with you on my, once I start my experiments. Yeah. See if you have any feedback. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely would say get like a, like a, if you're going to experiment, I would say get a, um, like a, a meter, like a blood glucose meter with, uh -huh. that has ketone strips. Uh -huh. So I have a precision extra over there that I'll sh I can mm -hmm. show you. Uh -huh. Um, and I think they, they're not too expensive. I feel like they're under $50. Okay. The strips are kind of expensive. Uh -huh. Um, but I think, you know, testing your blood a little bit to see what's going on can mm -hmm. be a really good marker of, mm -hmm of knowing kind of what exactly is happening in your body. And you mm -hmm. can, with the, the precision extra, you can test glucose and you can test ketone bodies. And so testing them both at the same time can be pretty helpful to like have a, you know, a little bit of a snapshot of like, okay, how well am I taking to this? Yeah. And you might find like, I, I feel like you might find that you take to it pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Like I think the fact that you participate in endurance sports and you're a pretty lean guy already, like mm -hmm. is a sign that, like your body is relatively good at burning fat. Yeah, I usually do pretty well for fasting for a day or like, yeah. Yeah. It seemed like, seemed like it would work. I've never tried three-day fast though. Yeah. Maybe I'll try that sometime in the next few months. Yeah, I, see. I, I recommend <laughs> it. It's fun. Um, cool. So, cool, man. What's up guys? One last note before you head out. Uh, we just want to say thank you so much for tuning into the Boldcast and checking out what we're doing over here at Dose Training Solutions. We really want to make this podcast super valuable for you. And if we added value to you, please head over to iTunes or wherever you're listening. Leave us a comment or a review and hit that subscribe button. All of it really helps and means a ton. Oh yeah, and we would love it if you share it with your friends as well. That would mean a ton to us. With that, I'll let you all go. Thank you again and be bold.